Well, what we... <laughs> enthusiastic. What we'd love to hear, uh, first of all, is just to understand uh, how you've seen God at work in the world of coaching. We don't just, I mean, however much time you want to spend on that, just understanding a little bit of how that's looked for you guys. So I, uh, this is loud. So probably, I don't want to even take an, the, for, uh, as an assumption that everybody even knows what coaching is. Uh, what so, is coaching, Omar? What is coaching? Yeah, tell, tell us about so what coaching, coaching is. Um, coaching is a, is a conversation between you and another person uh, where that individual is helping you to think through, uh, to reflect, to plan ahead uh, on the ministry that you've got going. But, but fuller than that, it's an application of the gospel to, uh, to the different spheres of your life. So your relational life, your personal life your ministry, your missional life, and your spiritual life, and, and helping you think through uh, how the gospel brings a life and how the gospel comes to bear in those different areas uh, of your life. And so you can imagine, like, for me, that that's been huge. My, the, the great irony in all of this for me is that my introduction uh, to coaching was the night that Ray Cortez gave, or our introduction to coaching, was the night that Ray Cortez gave the, the beautiful orthodoxy speech at the Lazy Goat. Um, and we, we were in the midst of a really difficult season of ministry, and uh, I ran into, reconnected with Jim Moon, uh, who became our coach. Uh, and over the course of the next several years, as, as Jim and I uh, were coached, and he coached both of us for a while during that time, uh, really was able to uh, to understand my particular role. At the time, I was revitalizing, trying to revitalize a church. Uh, I was following a, a pastor who had been at the church for 37 years, uh, and uh, we were trying to plant a Spanish-language congregation, and I had no clue how to do that. Um, and so having a coach helped me, helped us, to really think through what are the things that we need to do. And also, just, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes, <laughs> Um, and, and I think I made better mistakes, <laughs> uh, because I had a coach as opposed to making stupid mistakes. Uh, the coach helped me to make, you know, mistakes that I was like, okay, how do I learn? How do I reflect from that? Um, and for me, and I'll like hit talk here in a second, but for me, I think that, uh, what I've come to realize is, you know, we, in the world of church planting, coaching is a thing. We all know that, uh, for church planters, you know, coaching is out there. Um, but uh, I was reminded of this last night talking to Gary Campbell that, uh, you know, we, we've said that we want coaching to be a part of every call package. Uh, what would it look like if our presbyteries didn't hire, didn't approve a call for a, a guy coming out of seminary to take his first church if the call didn't have coaching as part of it? Uh, I mean, think about like what that would do for a guy to have someone that they could, they could go to that's safe that has ministry experience, that's going to help that pastor apply the gospel to his own heart when he's getting his face kicked in uh, by the people he's supposed to love, um, when he's experiencing failure because, you know, all these plans that he's, everything he's trying to throw up against the wall isn't working. Um, having someone that's cheering you on. And I, for me, the, the, the single biggest benefit, I think it was Tammy the other night asked us, uh, to, you know, what's the time that someone's spoken a word to you? And, and, the, and for me, what I remember, the first thing that came to mind was how my coach continually told me, you are beloved. 
when I had lots of people in my church that were not telling me I was beloved. <laughs> They're saying lots of other things. Um, so I, I would encourage us to, to really see coaching as a, um, for us, it really became a way that we were both celebrated in our collaborative way. And we're going to talk about this in a second, the way that we approach ministry. Um, I would love for us to see both men and women being able to take advantage of the resource of coaching uh, for them. And there are great organizations doing that. Paracolo is doing that. Church Multiplication Ministries is doing that. There are lots of other individuals that are doing that. Um, so the, the resources out there, it's just how do we, as presbyteries, as pastors, make those connections more? Barb, I'm going to let my wife talk. Um, on a just we're, we're like basically an ad for coaching and another like reason that I were so we champion it so much is it affected not just our ministry it affected it gave us tools um, and changed how we spoke with each other with our children with our friends with those um, in our community it, um, gave us just um, again tools and processes of how to think through things and strategize um, it also uh, taught us to pray more purposefully. It taught us to celebrate. I've talked to a couple of you about that. We're really bad at celebrating. And uh, the most awkward part of a coaching relationship, I really think, is at least the one where we followed where they made us celebrate something. And that's just, like, why is that so awkward? So it's made us have to really think through and celebrate that. On a personal level, um, I... Uh, went to seminary as a single woman. We met at seminary, um, got married after. Um, I would say Tammy and Lois Swaggerty, and there was one other person at assessment 10 years ago, nine years ago. Um, I felt extremely validated as a woman, an equal minister of the gospel. And the other time was at the Lazy Goat when we were like falling apart and wanting to leave ministry, and Jim came alongside us and said, you know, I usually coach church planners. You guys aren't that, and you're a woman, and I'd like to coach you together. I notice you guys work as a team. And he validated us, our dynamic. He validated me as a woman. He listened to me. And that relationship didn't last, and we, you know, and that was out of his wheelhouse. And he was willing to be innovative, and he was willing to um, himself stretch. And then it was just a beautiful moment for, for me as a woman who is in ministry. Um, and then, so over the years recently, I went through uh, CMMs. Um, they're trying to open up gospel. They realize gospel coaching needs to go to more than church planners, so to um, revitalization pastors, to women in ministry, to um, unordained men in ministry. Um, and so I got to go through that experience of being trained by them, and that was life-giving. And I want to champion for women, for you women here, um, having a coach um, will help give clarity to your calling, um, help you give vision, voice your concerns. And the, con- the, the issue that I think we're even running in now is we want to offer coaching to women, but women don't even know we're there. And um, we're we're really quick right now to want to say, like, yes, we want women in leadership and we want women in ministry. But we need to have coaches walking alongside those women to help break through. Um, We're at the point where I think most here, I know, and more in the PCA, want to see positions of women in leadership in their churches. But um, it is, I would encourage you men not just to have men um, have it be part of your call package, but be committed to going out and um, helping your women 
find coaches and not just saying, hey, there's this coaching and it's great and send them a link, but connect. You guys have connections. Men in this, congreg- in this denomination, you have connections that most women do not. And I think it's easy to, to forget that and take it for granted, not to just, you're not trying to throw these women to the wolves or just to nothing, but just be purposeful and connecting your women. They will thrive. They will um, have both at all levels. They will grow in a gospel um, joy and understanding and a desire to, to stay and working collaboratively with you. So it's really, um, again, just a big champion of it. And, and I recommend, you know, like Omar said, CMM, uh, go talk. Jim is here. Talk to Jim. Tammy is here. Go talk to Tammy. Um, we, they can help you. We can help you find the, the right type of coaching that would fit where you are. And I'm speaking to pastor spouses. Um, and you might think, well, I'm, I'm just a spouse. No, let's talk. Um, and there's, oh, there's a coach for you. And if you are a single woman, um, if I know there's some women from RUF here, if you're single, like find a coach, help her. You are still at the moment where we're breaking through and we're trying to, um, find our positions in, in, in our godly positions and our non-elder positions in this denomination. Recently, uh, I saw this article on uh, a, a certain social media website that shall remain nameless. But uh, it, there, was, there was a picture of uh, a pastor and his family and the story was about the pastor committing suicide. The thing that I, 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 I found that it was difficult for me to even read the story, the hardest part about it there were two very difficult things for me in looking at it. The first was I kept thinking about the kids who had their, they were tiny kids, and they had their hands wrapped around the finger of their dad in the picture. And I couldn't help but think they're going to see this picture and wish they could be there again, feel that, experience that. The second reason why that's difficult is because I, like many of you, have a high burnout potential in ministry. The reason why it was hard for me to look at was to think, that could be me. It could be me. There's a certain amount of struggle that's necessary in ministry. There's a certain amount of suffering. All of you wear it proudly in many cases, right? Badge of honor. And and in many ways, there's nothing wrong with that. Look, we suffer like our Savior suffers. For good. Don't let your suffering be pride, arrogance, the need to be the Savior. I speak as a man of experience in ministry in that way. Uh, I have friends who regularly tell me that I need to, you know, all kinds of words I can't share right now. I love them. They're necessary. Um, there are people the Lord continues to provide in my life to snuff out the fuse that is leading to something that's unhealthy and not good in my life. This, when I hear coaching, that's what I'm thinking about. We have to be serious about this. We can't make the kingdom more beautiful by grinding ourselves to death. 
The call is going to grind us up. That's okay. Don't grind yourself up in the process, right? That was an unscheduled advertisement for your advertisement. Um, can, can I move to where I said we would move? Is that okay? Okay. So, Kate, I want to ask this question. As a, as a denomination, we continue to work at how we embody the gospel together. And, and what does that look like to be members of the same body? We struggle with that in lots of ways, but we're thinking about it cross-culturally, multiracially, but also something you just said a minute ago, to be equal partners. Okay? To be equal partners, both male and female. To be equal partners, both male and female. As someone involved in helping to build healthier ministry partners, which is what your goal looks like, what do we see, what do you see as the challenge confronting women as they seek to be equal partners in the work of kingdom ministry in the PCA? Utilizing those gifts, and I think this language is important, in full health, right? How do you see that working? Where are you? I'm going to, you know, teach us. Um, I was trying to think of a broad way at least to kind of frame the discussion. Um, I say this with trepidation. I say this out of love. Um, I'm seven when we came in the PCA, my family, so I've been in it 30 plus years. Um, I love the movement that I see going towards acknowledging and incorporating women in the life of the church as equal ministers in the gospel. Um, and my concern of getting up here is just sounding all negative, but but I but I do feel it is helpful to call out to ha- to to call out and, and share some concerns. And I would say my overarching concern is that we are not currently, as a denominational whole, I'm not speaking so much about individual churches here, and I'm sure actually most of you, your churches here, the, the those who are present here, are are doing these things, but we are not acknowledged as equal partners in the gospel in this denomination. Um, in our local context, most of our church, and 98, 99%, do not believe with our position on women. Men and women do not believe. Um, and so we, I am trying, I am trying, I feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I love our theology. I love my Bible. I love Jesus, I love um, reading Jesus's interactions and care for women. The Bible's representation of how they chose to have the words of women written in part of our scriptures. Um, and, I, and I try to communicate this to our women. I try to say, we live in Boston. We have some like high-powered women. We have women that just, this is so foreign. <laughs> and, and I try to say, but yes, um, we have different roles. And they, and they can be used fully. But then I also know what's going on uh, at um, other churches, presbytery levels, and denominational, where my heart was broken this summer, and other women were too. There are a lot of women that watch the, and listen to GA. And they just, there have been, there were tears of, we were just told we can't, serve on as like official members of these boards that have nothing to do with the work of elders and that was 
kind of shift. That was very shifting to me. I am used. I love our church. I love the PCA churches we've been a part of. I have um, been many ways, though, on the outs. And many women here, we've even talked. I don't say this to, to cast a negative, to, to just only be negative, but this is that, at that time that I can. And so um, from seminary, Mary Beth spoke this summer about, at the gathering about her experiences in seminary. Um, I have many of those stories to share. Clueless, offensive, ridiculous comments by men. Why are you here? Like, what are you going to do with this? Um, and then on the positive side, I had men be like, I am so glad you're here. I wish we knew what to do with you. And I, and I feel like we're bridging that gap. We're moving to where we are providing positions. And we are guiding women into, like, we, I've had a lot of men tell me, you know, yes, we need to send more women to seminary. And my response now is, what are you going to do with that woman? Okay, are you going to mm. provide a position for her? And because she's needed, because we, you need to hear her, you need to hear my sister speak, and they need to hear you, and they need to, we need to connect more to benefit each other as the body, as God created us to work together. Um, but the isolation is real. And, uh, and, and I think we're at that point where Russ mentioned you don't want to do the optics with race, Right. And we're, in a, and we're in a congregation that did that, and we're struggling with now having to walk back stuff and teach with, with race. Also do it with women, where you, you, it's, it's tokenism, it's optics, and you're not truly engaging with them and getting to know them. And it makes the isolation deeper. Omar and I play a game at GA every year. So we've been in this for 14 years. I haven't gone every year. We get in the elevator, and we watch all the guys, and oftentimes it's the younger guys that do this, um, refuse to acknowledge me. And um, then Omar does this really dramatic, this is Kate. And, um, and they will, um, <laughs> if they choose, I have gotten no looks. I've got, yeah, hey. I have gotten brief eye contact and then look away. Never in the engagement with me. And that's, and so guys, like that's at our denominational level. And that's my taste of what the other, of what's going on. And it's, um, it's so sad to me. And I don't. Um, I don't want that for you. I want you to feel the freedom and, and the, to, to engage with me and to listen to me. And I want to engage with you. Um, I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> choose, choose a rebuttal here, Omar, or a, can, or a Amen. It's good. Um, It's a challenge. We all know that. Um, we've we've talked about this a lot in, in in many different spaces in our denomination. There's a lot of work going on to try to be clear and clearer about what it looks like for men and women to be equal partners in this ministry. And part of that is understanding more clearly what we mean by ordination and being clear about that. Um, and making sure that we're, we're not elevating our cultural practices over and above what we confess to be true. That work is ongoing. There are people in this room who are invested in that and, and uh, women who are invested in that conversation. And they're modeling by that kind of equal partnership in the process of trying to figure this out, understand it. But I firmly believe that the PCA has the tools necessary to be able to 
to answer that question in a way that allows us to minister in our current time and context. We have an answer that's, un, that's, that's unique to that question, which is to say, this is what ordination is about. This is the authority that it confers. We know what that is. We need to be clearer about it. And um, I think I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. You know, you, you and I, we, we knew each other because when I walked out of the clean into the unclean area in General Assembly, which is, the, which is like the division, you know, um, and uh, I think I remember one year, didn't we put like a shade down between the two? I can't even remember. I think, I think we kind of did something like that. But anyway, um, I remember walking back there and uh, you and I talked briefly. And I think I was just like, wow, she knows what she, I mean, so like she knows what she's talking about. Like, why are we not ha- hearing this somewhere else? Why, have I, why am I just hearing this? Like, why is this the first conversation we're having about this? And, um, and I'm just thankful uh, for you. I'm thankful for sisters like Holly Eastman, those of you who know her. Um, man, just some people who have, who have fought for our good to be partners, again, to be partners in this ministry. And so all I can say is uh, one man who runs every facet of everything that happens in the PCA um, in Chicago-style politics that... Um, no, listen, I, I speak as one of many who say, we want to do church better. Um, and so we're, we're thankful for that conversation. And please keep having it with us, please. Um, I want to shift to one other thing. We allowed a little bit more time for this because um, this other question in my mind is one that I think is helpful for all of us in ministry. And it is, you all have talked, and Omar in particular, uh, when we talked about this last, you discussed the uniqueness of your ministry partnership as distinctly collaborative as husband and wife in ministry. And if you could give us a a, a brief kind of view of what that looks like, um, that would be helpful. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, as Kate said, we met in seminary. Uh, Her degree is a a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies, uh, which meant that she and I were in a lot of the same classes. Uh, so from the, from the moment that we started dating, our relationship has always been one where we've discussed theology, uh, where we've discussed ministry practice. Um, it was just, a, it's always been the nature of our relationship to do that. Uh, and so I can't imagine doing ministry without her to, to the degree where, where there have been times where she has said, Hey, I feel like I need to pull back from things. And, and so my first question is, all right. If you're going to pull out of that, then I have to think how I'm going to do ministry and whether I want to do this particular facet of ministry without being able to have you at my side. Um, that's how committed I am. And so what that practically has looked like, and I, this is not for everybody. I know it's not for everybody. Um, but what that's looked like for us, uh, a couple of things, is you know she's been reading my sermons since I, they, when they were really, really bad. I mean, they're better now. But when they were really, really bad, she made them better. Um, and, and I mean, I can't tell you the number of times where, um, you know, she reads my manuscript and she's like, is that really what you want to say? Well, yeah. Why, not, why don't I want to say that? <laughs> well, have you thought about it? this? I was like, oh, no, I didn't think about that. I mean, so, so my, she, it, she has had probably... Uh, as significant of an impact 
probably more significant of an impact than anybody on my preaching. Uh, because she, you know, before you, before anyone hears me in the pew, hears me preach, she's already helped me think and sharpen what it is that I'm going to say. Um, you know, we, at several points throughout the life of, of our church, when I was pastoring in Florida, uh, uh, several of the, of the key ministry initiatives that we were, we were attempting. So at one point we were trying to plant this, you know, trying to start the Spanish language, uh, ministry out of, uh, a predominantly white, uh, church in this, uh, town in, in Southeast Florida. And, uh, and we realized we had this great opportunity to start a legal services uh, immigration uh, ministry. Uh, and, and, I mean, she was like, I want to do that. I was like, great, do it, run. Um, and she, you know, she, she uh, everything that I know about immigration is because of her. Um, because she did that work and helped me to think more carefully about how we were doing ministry to reach immigrants. And I am an immigrant. But she helped me to think even more, more clearly about that with laws and things like that. So much so that now I'm in a, uh, you know, in a role in Boston, and this was even true in Florida, that is one of the other things that I've realized is that her, the, the collaboration that she and I share has bled into other relationships. So that um, I've always sought to engage, not perfectly, um, but I've always sought to engage other women in the congregations that I've been a part of, um, at least for the last seven, eight years. Um, and really, like, I need your input. I need to hear your voice so that I can make better decisions, so that um, I can lead well, so that I don't make mistakes, so I don't hurt you. Um, so that even now, as we're in Boston, you know, uh, it, it's because of this collaboration we, uh, that uh, my role um, you know, we've brought like all of our children's ministry leaders, which are all women uh, in our context, all of our children's ministry leaders together and, and trying to set them up for maximum success. And um, one of our congregations has a, has a women's discipleship director. Um, and, and she and I have been thinking, how can, how can I help her? How can he, she help me to do a better job of caring for the wives of our church planning apprentices and the wives of our seminary students um, and, and I can't imagine doing ministry without the input of my wife first, but of other women that I engage with. Um, and, and, the, and the reality is that I see that in my home. I see that in my church. And then when I get to Presbytery, and then when I get to General Assembly, it's not there. It's just not there. Uh, and... And we are impoverishing ourselves. We are impoverishing ourselves by not creating space for our sisters to be able to help us think more clearly about what it means to be the church uh, and to do ministry and to care for people. Um, so, Thank you. Um, we want to pray. I want to pray for you both. And am grateful for the conversation. I want to, uh, I, I didn't clear this with you first, Kate, but we've talked about this. Uh, women who are curious about how to more fully engage in the life of the church as a woman uh, should definitely contact Kate, for one. She's willing to be a resource. Um, she's willing to, uh, to listen and uh, to cry with you and coach you on and 
tell you how to storm the gates in a way that is appropriate for you as a woman in our congregation. You know, I mean, you know, but to be there, you know, and to be present and to be a real partner. And so I, I want you to, to know that you have those resources and you have those people that love you well. And, um, and hopefully all of us do that, but Kate in particular feels in some ways called to be a person like that. And so I hope you hear that. Let me pray for you all. Can I just add one more thing? Yeah, you can. I'm sorry. Let yes, me just add please. one more thing. I do want to say, I, there are, um, Tammy and I spoke yesterday, and, and I, she mentioned the, the phrase tastes and glimpses. I do want to say, as I kind of ended on a negative note, I see tastes and glimpses of this beautiful orthodoxy and how it relates to women um, here. I, I've heard it this morning with the women that gathered. Just really beautiful stories of um, men, uh, women attending session meetings, for example, uh, in, in men listening and um, men being in sessions, being willing to break molds and be innovative. Um, I have had really amazing conversations with a lot of you men. Um, I have felt fully um, acknowledged and validated by many of you here. So thank you for that. You probably don't even realize how impactful that is when you grab a woman here and talk with her and acknowledge her. So thanks. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, Kate and Omar, and we pray for their particular ministry for cross-coaching. We pray that uh, this would not be an odd thing to us as uh, practitioners of ministry, that rather we would look and see uh, that, Lord, we need to be encouraged and we need to be sharpened and led, and we need to make use of the gifts that exist in your body to preserve and, uh, and to mold pastors and pastors' wives and practitioners of ministry at every level. Uh, Lord, may we not impoverish ourselves. May we grow fully into a beautiful bride who is there at a feast, having used her gifts fully, fully for your kingdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.